This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Persecution being threatened for your life, telling you can't teach and preach the gospel of Jesus. You can't be a Christian. As Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, we will suffer persecution. You need to ask your question, do you desire to live a godly life? You will suffer persecution. Even Jesus said, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 20, he said, remember the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. As a believer, Christ says you will face persecution. New Testament scripture bears witness to this truth, as apostle after apostle is martyred for their faith. Pastor Eddie asks you today to examine your faith and think about what you'll say when you're suffering in this world for your faith. Will you hold fast to the Lord to the end? Remember when you stay faithful to God, He'll strengthen and empower you throughout it all so you can hold up and hold on to him. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 as he continues his message, Greetings from Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of of God. This is important because there are so many people who love to tie, give themselves titles, put themselves in position, and it's not by the will of God. A college degree or degrees, though it's a good thing, does not qualify one to be a pastor leader. Some denominations expect that. But it's by the will of God. There's nothing in the scripture says the quote. We already studied First Timothy, right? Anywhere, if you remember, does it say the qualification they needed to be educated in a Bible college, have a you know a degree, or went to cemetery? I mean seminary, <laughs> or they got a BLT from Mickey D's from Philly. It doesn't matter, you know. They they get so caught up on this. Moses was a well-educated man. He was raised in Egypt and had the best education in the world at that time in ancient Egypt. 40 years he'd been in Egypt. How many years do you think he was in a desert? 40 years. Interesting. God had to take 40 years of Egypt out of him for him to have, you know, to be 40 years as a shepherd. No longer a prince of Egypt, now a shepherd. So you know what his schooling was? University of Bush. He, met the, he went to the burning bush. And the Lord said, go. Okay. He followed. He didn't come out with a degree. As a matter of fact, he came out with a staff. It's not by voting leaders in. Some churches, that's what they do. Well, we need the person or by congregation, denomination, by the will of God. Paul's an apostle, not by the church of Ephesus, not by the church of Corinth, not by the church of, of um, Philippi. None of the churches of Asia, no one by the will of God. 
It wasn't by the other disciples or the apostles, but by the will of God. It is not by self. There's a lot of people who appoint themselves. And that's the most dangerous one. Because if you appoint yourself to be a pastor or a leader, you have to do it in your own strength. And I've, sadly, I've seen quite a few who are oh, the Lord told me. Okay, when people say the Lord told me, I, I just, I can't tell you, you know, if the Lord told you or not. But there should be proof. There should be fruit. There should be scripture. And it should be consistent the way God works. I like what Chuck Smith used to say. How do you know if you're a pastor? Turn around. See if people are following you. There's so many people, they call themselves pastors. They don't have one sheep. Oh, I'm a shepherd. Where are your sheep? I'm a farmer. Where's your farm? I'm a rancher. Where's the cattle? It's by the will of God. As a matter of fact, for just $25, $25, you go online, be ordained and get a certificate to be a minister. Oh, we shouldn't be surprised. It's been going on for a long time. $25. It's not by the will of God. I think that's going to be the most painful $25 anyone ever spent. It's not a biblical concept. The biblical concept of being called by God is being called by God and being consistent in the qualifications that we find in Timothy. First Timothy chapter 2 and 3. Those are the qualifications. That's why it's there. So Paul did not make himself an apostle, but by the will of God. Again, back in Acts uh, chapter 9, when he converted, uh, when he met the Lord in the road to Damascus. So he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul was an apostle by the will of God, and according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, God has made a promise that all who believe in Jesus Christ will receive eternal life. And so Paul, his calling as an apostle, is in harmony with that gospel. It's in harmony with those who call upon the name of the Lord and have eternal life. In fact, if there had been no such promise given to us about those being saved and have eternal life, then there would have been no need for an apostle. What do you need an apostle for? There's no promise. You have nothing to say. But because there is a promise that comes from God for those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and have eternal life. We need apostles. We need apostolos, a broad sense. Those who's going out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need leaders. We need evangelists. And so in verse 2, he says, To Timothy... A beloved son, to Timothy, a beloved son. You see that Paul's deep love and concern for this young man of God is going to be shown throughout the letter. You'll find it. But you'll find it in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. As we see here in chapter 2, verse 1, he calls him a son. It was when he met Timothy and on his second missionary journey there in the church, and they actually recommended him to Paul's, hey, Paul, this kid, Timothy, man, he's on fire. You need somebody who's willing to go with you? Take that kid with you. And he took him ever since he's been like a son to him. And there's no one closer to, to Paul the apostle than Timothy. Look what he says. Look what he wrote to the church of Philippi, Philippians chapter 2. 
verse 19 and 22. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character. (laughs) He had a good testimony. That as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. What what an awesome resume. He was faithful. He served with me in the gospel through thick and thin. He went to prison with me. When he first started, you know what he had to do? He had to get circumcised. He's a Greek. You think Timothy put up a fight? No. Painful as it might have been at his age, he did it for the sake of the gospel. How many things hold us back from sharing the gospel? And it's not as painful. It's not much of a sacrifice either. There's a sacrifice to be made when we, we follow Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ our Lord. And Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, uh, Paul's greeting to Timothy and Titus, the only two places where you find these three together, grace, mercy, and peace. With the churches, he'll write grace and peace. That is typical salutation, is typical greeting. A greeting that he invented himself, he created No other uh, ancient uh, philosopher, teacher, uh, Pharisee have come up with this greeting. Uh, It was Paul the Apostle because it's theological. It makes you think grace and peace because you will never have peace without grace. It's always in that order. It was Paul because he's greeting. His greeting is both Greek and Hebrew. Uh, Grace, uh, the Greek word charis, uh, which means, hey, may you uh, have a day better than you deserve. That's what grace means. And Hebrew, shalom, which it's peace. And, and you'll see this in all his letters to the churches, grace and peace. However, when it comes to a pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, he greets Timothy and Titus with these three, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, obviously, we know this. <laughs> If everyone, every one of us here who are saved, we're saved by grace, not by works. There's nothing you've done, okay? So you may not understand it fully, but you're living proof. You're the evidence of the grace of God. You're the proof of the grace of God. Grace means God's unmerited favor. It means getting what you don't deserve. You don't deserve grace. You don't deserve life in itself. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve salvation, We don't deserve to have a king die on the cross for us. We don't deserve that. Because he's a God of grace, his amazing grace. He gives us what we don't deserve, his unmerited favor. Then the mercy is holding back what we do deserve. That's the opposite of grace. Is not getting what we do deserve. What do we deserve? We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve life. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve a king to die for us. What we deserve is the wrath of God. I cannot tell you, you will never understand the grace of God until you understand the wrath of God. We grace, 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 grace. We could sing it and all, but let me tell you something. If you understand the mercy of God, you'll un- which is getting what you do deserve, Holding back 
what you, what you do deserve, that is. You would understand grace because what we deserve, we deserve the wrath of God. The wrath of God that was poured on his son, Jesus Christ. He became sin for us. He was without sin, but he died for my sins. That's why Jesus cried out, Father, why have thou forsaken me? The father cannot look at sin because his son became sin for us. He took on the sins of the world and historians say that on the day that Jesus was crucified, that the skies were black in the afternoon around the world. And the reason that took place is because it was the sins of the world being poured onto one man, the man Jesus Christ on the cross. He took on the wrath of God, the punishment of the cross, and what we deserve. And that's what mercy is, holding back, holding back what we do deserve, and we deserve the wrath of God. But because of his love and grace, he died on the cross, you see. Whenever you think about grace, think of the cross. Yes, we're saved by faith or grace, but also look at it. I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve what happened to Jesus on the cross. I needed to be near. It was my sins, but he took my place in Calvary. That's, that's mercy. Mercy holding back what we do deserve. And then peace. We cannot have peace unless there's the grace. It's worldly peace. Jesus said in, in, in the Gospels, I did not come to bring peace. People say, huh, Jesus Christ did not come to bring peace. But he's talking about worldly peace. I came to bring a sword. And he's talking about parent, family and friends when they reject you because of the gospel. But a sword, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ to your unsafe friends, neighbors and family members, co-workers, there's a sword. Because the gospel is offensive to some people. But we can't have the peace because, again, peace is not what we do. It's not on a vacation. It's not peace knowing that you have enough money in the bank, or food in the cupboard. It's not in a day. Peace is in the person, Jesus Christ. That's what peace is all about. And for a Christian, and this is important, for a Christian to say they have no peace does not make sense. Because to say you don't have peace is saying you don't have Christ. If Christ is peace, he dwells in your heart, you have peace. The only thing is, you're not on your knees and seeking after the peace in which you have in your heart, which is Jesus Christ. Peace is in the person. I believe the reason why Paul inserted this this mercy with the pastoral epistles is because it's to say, you know what? You're going to need it. Pray that God don't send people down your way to challenge you. Or because pastors are held to a higher standard. More is expected. More is expected. This is what James writes in James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Why? Knowing that we shall receive stricter judgment. When I come up here and teach, the fear of God, the fear of God. So we have this peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. As Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, he writes grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
This is the introduction, the salutation for 2 Timothy. Paul knows his days are numbered. 2 Timothy, this epistle will bring us, the believer in Jesus Christ, every single one of us to the edge of death, forcing us to consider the realities and how we might react when we are faced with persecution, even death. We don't have that in America just yet. We don't know what that's like in the West. But our brothers and sisters in these third world countries that are suffering persecution because they're Christians in, in places in the world where they can't even mention the name of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in this letter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You won't find uh, the TVN preachers and teachers tell you about this. The prosperity teachers, they won't tell you this. That you will, because you're a Christian, you will suffer persecution. I, I'm not talking about the persecution that you didn't get a promotion because you're a Christian. You know, God wills everything. If you don't get it because it wasn't God's will, if they, you didn't get it because you could, so let it be. You continue being a Christian. I'm not saying because you're a Christian, your family has disowned you or rejected you. That's not persecution. I'm talking about persecution being threatened for your life, telling you can't teach and preach the gospel of Jesus. You can't be a Christian. As Paul tells us in 2 Timothy we will suffer persecution. You need to ask your question. Do you desire to live a godly life? You will suffer persecution. Even Jesus said, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 20, he said, remember the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. All the disciples except for John, the beloved, died a martyr's death. And even though Christians here do not understand this letter applies for us, we need to stay faithful to the end. Stay faithful to the end. Faithful to the gospel. Faithful to the end. Even when the persecution happens. Now, I, I don't know what it's like to be dipped in tar, tied up to a pole, and be burned alive. It's just a thought. And sometimes it will question, will question, will I remain faithful? Will I remain faithful as they're about to burn me alive? I know we all ask that question when we hear Christians, our fellow brothers and sisters being persecuted around the world. Will I be faithful if they're about to behead me as a Christian? I'll tell you this. I know for all of the apostles that died a martyr's death, even the apostle Paul, all the Christians... There is a faith that stirs up at that moment where the Holy Spirit and God is going to be with them that they'll be able to deal with it. I believe that. When the young girl in Columbine was threatened with her life, if she believes in Jesus Christ, she said yes, knowing she's going to be shot. Here's a teenager that could set the example for most Christians. The Apostle Paul is letting us know, listen, times are going to be rough. Don't put your guard down. We live in an awesome country. How it's going now, I don't know. But it, I'm pretty sure it could get worse. 
And I know at the end, it's going to get worse before it even gets better, before we raptured up. And we're going to be challenged. And we're going to remain faithful to the end. What I find amazing with the Apostle Paul as he's near his death, his mind is not on himself. You're not going to find in 2 Timothy, Timothy, please, uh, tell all the churches to pray to God get me out of here. The food is terrible. Pray that God, pray, okay, if I do stay here, that I don't mind staying here for the rest of my life. Just don't let them kill me. You're not going to find that in 2 Timothy. He didn't ask for prayer to get out of prison. Instead, in faith, he's trusting in the Lord. His mind is on Timothy. His mind is on the church and passing the mantle. I finished the race. And this is how God wants me to, my life to be in, so be it. I surrender my life to him. He does with my life as he pleases. We surrender our lives. We know this is how. Who knows how we're going to end our lives? I know many of us hope we died of natural causes. But to be in that place like the Apostle Paul, worrying about the church, here he is in his old age, abused. He almost died three times. <laughs> He's been stoned so many times, whipped so many times, and he's willing to go, but he knows, hey, this, this is it. This is how God's going to take me. Listen, it's, it's a beautiful thing. In, in the Psalms, it says, blesses the death of the saints in the eyes of God. We're going to die one day. You know the survey, I don't have to tell you. 10 out of 10 people, we're dying. The reality is, if you die because of your faith, how glorious that would be. Eternity in heaven. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, didn't skip the cross and go directly to heaven. He died on the cross. He went willingly to the cross. Are you going to have it better than your Savior? Are you going to have it better than your Master, your Lord, King and King, your Creator? There's no such thing as a martyr before the death of the cross. No one died for Jesus before Jesus died. He died first. Then the Christian martyrs died. Regardless, if we're facing persecution, or we're about to face persecution, saints, remember, be faithful to the end. Be faithful to the end. Be faithful to the gospel. Read your Bible. Read it to your children. Make sure they know the Bible. Make sure they memorize scripture. If you don't know the Bible enough to teach it, we start learning. If they don't see you open the Bible and they see you turn on the TV, that's what they're going to do when they grow up. They're going to learn everything you do. And so we need to be faithful to the end. The book of 1 Timothy is encouraging and inspiring. From one well-seasoned missionary to another. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, spurring a younger pastor on to great things. Isn't it great to live life in community with others so that you can mutually encourage others you're walking alongside? Even though Paul and Timothy weren't in the same area very often, those letters kept them united in the cause of Christ. We hope that you have this type of uniting with other believers. If you don't, we'd like you to know how to connect with us here. Go to our website at runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church that supports this ministry. 
At Calvary Chapel of Milford, we'd love to meet you this weekend and join with you in being part of a church family. Worshiping God and studying His Word together is something that should be done in community. To find out more, once again, our website is runningtheraceradio.com. We pray that Pastor Eddie's message on running the race has been helpful for you today. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad you're one of our listeners. If you'd like to hear this message again, you can find it at runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, feel free to listen to other messages from this series or download them and take them with you on the go. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. That's all we have for today, but join us again for more as Pastor Eddie teaches from 1 Timothy on running the race.